Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. I hope everyone's doing well. We are continuing our series on Give As God Gives. I don't think that there is a better series that we can talk about in a season like this, especially with uh, Christmas coming, but also just 2020 has been an, uh, an interesting year that if it has not allowed you to reflect on how gracious and generous our God is in all seasons, uh, maybe this month is your month to have that fresh revelation. Hey, before we get into the message, there's a few updates that I just want to uh, share with you. We're excited about just a reminder that next weekend we're taking up our legacy offering. Uh, we've given a bit of you know, updates on this across the last few weeks, so we've been asking you to pray into it, asking you to seek God, what he is asking you to invest into our legacy as a church. We do this annually every time about this time of the year um, as we begin to sow into what we know God is doing in us as a church for next year and the years to come. Uh, last year, we took up a legacy offering, and the main goal was, uh, and it sounds funny at the time, but was to put aside funds that would allow us to respond to what, whatever crisis or whatever might happen to us as a church. And then we look at this year uh, with what uh, COVID has done globally, um, and I just love the fact that in our generosity, back towards the kingdom of God, his bride, in our faithfulness and obedience, we as a church were able to thrive and continue to thrive in this season because we took up a legacy offering last year that enabled us to move and to pivot, that's the word of this year, as quick as possible so that we could continue to fellowship together online with the best experience. So next weekend, legacy offering. And leading in to that next weekend legacy offering is a week of fasting for us as a church. We're going to fast into and believing that God is going to use our obedience and our unity and generosity to achieve so much more than we could ever imagine as a church. And so across this week, uh, Monday all the way through to uh, Friday, we'll be doing fasting updates, and you can fast whatever you believe God has asked you to fast, uh, but can I ask you to be diligent and obedient in that? Um, and don't just do it as a chore, do it as a, as, a, a, as a spirit of expectation, of investment, that, you know, as we fast together, as we set our minds on the same thing together, that God is going to begin to open up um, and create even more opportunities of influence for us as a church. Um, and before we start the message, we have coming to you from us as a church, right into your lounge rooms, our very own Avant Life Christmas experience on Christmas Eve. Uh, that's going to be amazing. I cannot wait to spend that evening with you all. Uh, we know that, uh, that as we come together and as we sing carols, as we tell stories of the goodness of God, as we reflect on the generosity that we have in Jesus, that in each and every one of our households, that the Spirit of God is just beginning, it was going to begin to just overflow, that He's going to fill each and every home. Can I ask you, make sure you invite your friends and your families to tune in online Christmas Eve to enjoy that service together because I do know it's going to bless you. I know that time together as a family, giving God the, the opportunity, the reason for the season, uh, will do nothing less than bless. And so let's do that together. Are we ready? You got your pens and papers, your iPads, your eyelids, whatever you use to take down notes. We're going to have fun this morning. In the book of Acts, we see Luke write in chapter 20, 35, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, 
how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And like I said, we're talking about generosity this morning. We're talking about how God gives. Um, and we're going to discuss that the, when we look at Scripture, when we see what Jesus taught in reflection to what God had shown throughout the Old Testament period, that generosity is everything to do with the heart. It's everything. It's all about the heart. Turn to the person next to you, type it in the chat. It's all about the heart. You know, there's songs out there where it's all about the money, but this is not all about the money. It's all about the heart. So what's so important about the heart? Outside the fact that it pumps blood around your body, for some of us it does a better job than others. But that's on you. And it's in you. But you can do better. (laughs) Chef Ben's coming. What is so important about the heart? Hey, let's talk about three things I believe that God wants us to know about your heart. And we're not talking about your physical heart, that that's important. We're talking about the heart that God talks and speaks about in relation to your core person. What develops your character? So let's talk about this. Number one, the Bible says that it is the spring of life. We see in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all uh, vigilance. Vigilance. Protect your heart is another way of doing it. From it flow the springs of life. Keep your heart with all vigilance. I love that word vigilant. Are you vigilant with your heart? Are you careful? Are you protective of your heart? Because from it flows everything that gives life. And not everything that we do, not every life that we live, and we can live multiple lives, we can have multiple masks, we can have multiple ways we respond to things. Not everything we do brings life. See, that's the human condition summed up in one proverb, and that is from the abundance of your heart, from the depths of your heart. If you're not vigilant, if you don't protect it, if you don't keep it safe, if you don't invest into it healthily, then what springs forth is going to be life. But it can also be death, or it could be a life that is filled with toxicity. The heart is the wellspring of life. In that, the capacity to live with joy and vigor ultimately comes from within and not from the outside. See, all of a sudden, it gives us this ability to find a source of life that is not polluted or diluted by the circumstances of life. Joe Stowell says this, and he's a a theologian. He's got his doctorate in the divinity. He says this, and it's powerful. He says, The heart is used in Scripture as the most uh, comprehensive term for the authentic person. Think about that. The most comprehensive term for the authentic person. It is the part of our being where we desire, where we deliberate and decide. The center of a person. The place to which God turns. Whoa. Isn't that powerful? It's your heart to which God turns to. That's where God looks to see the real you. That's crazy. Do you know why that's crazy? Because even though no one else might know the contents of your heart, it's inescapable for you in relation to where God can look. So you can put up all the masks, you can make it look a particular way, but what is terrifyingly hopeful is that we serve a God that does not get fooled by our mirages. We serve a God that cares and loves for us so much that he will turn immediately to your core person, the very comprehensive, authentic person you are to begin to look and see. Therefore, our heart, we must protect. Not because we should hide it from God, but we should protect it. 
We should invest it. And we do that by giving God sovereignty and position to heal, to grow and transition what our heart should look like. It's the measurement for life. Your heart is the measurement for life. We measure things with different forms of units, right? So we measure weight in kilograms if you're in the modern era, pounds if you're stuck in the past. We measure volume with... Anyone? Leaders? Kiloliters? Oceans, no one knows. Grams. Grams. Okay. I think we, I think we, uh, we do cube, cubic meters, right? For volume? <laughs> oh, that's so funny. There's probably people watching online now. Type it into the chat, whatever you need to do. It's your moment to stand up right now. We measure things constantly, right? We measure, let's take it out of like actual physical measurements, but we measure things. We measure how well we're doing in life by milestones, by what we've achieved. We measure how we're doing in relationships by how we speak to one another, how we interact with one another, how we feel when we're next to, with, or doing, sharing something with someone else. We're constantly measuring things. But the Bible says that your heart is the measurement for life. In Matthew 7, verse 1 to 2, it says, Judge not that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I love that. With the judgment you pronounce. Think about that. Pronounce. You have control over it. You distinguish. You decide what it sounds like, what it looks like, and how it affects. But it says, hey, with that measure, you're going to be measured with. Judge not that you not be judged, for the measure you use will be measured back to you. Do you know what's funny? That this message, this passage never mentions money. Let's read it in the Gospel of Luke, because he has a version of it too. Gospel of Luke, verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 37 to, to 38, says this, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, sounds like martini, running over, be put into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. I love that. It begins with the same thing. Judge not, that you may not be judged. Luke inserts, give, and it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, be put in your lap. He concludes with the same words. For the measure you use will be measured back to you. Does this passage at any point mention money? We're talking about give as God gives, but the amount of times that we take this And we quote it in connection with financial giving as if that's the most important thing, though there's an applicability there. The amount of times we do that and we all of a sudden think about giving and associate it with money when this scripture talks about giving in far more greater and deeper transformational ways. See, Jesus is addressing the heart issue here. See, we give in every every aspect of our life, not just money, We give of time, we give of resource, we give of compliments, we give of blessings. We give of direction. Some of us give heavily of criticism. (laughs) 
We give. The whole message, every time we speak about the goodness of God, at the end of the day, every message from the Bible is about giving. Every message is about the grace of God that was given. God so loved the world that he gave. See, Jesus is talking about heart attitudes here. He's talking about judgment. He's talking about condemnation. He's talking about forgiveness. These are the issues. These are the attitudes of the heart. So all of a sudden, it says, give judgment as it be given to you. Give condemnation as it will be given to you. Give forgiveness. Give grace. Show mercy. This is the generosity of our God. So in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be put in your lap. For with that measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. The principle of sowing and reaping applies to all areas of your life, not just your finances, and most importantly, to your heart. Heart of generosity in all areas of your life is what God commands of us, not for his sake, but for ours. Number three, a generous heart. I put a note here, a heart tile. So for Christmas, I kid you not, um, or was it for my birthday? For birthday, yes, for the birthday. You bought me, was it Christmas or, or my birthday? <laughs> birthday last year. Oh. So for my birthday last year, my beautiful wife bought me two tiles. And you know what I'm talking about, right? Those devices that you can place in things so you don't lose it. Um, and I, I kid you not, the day after she gave them to me, I lost the tiles. Um, I have the ability to lose things of, they're like small and they're not that important, but weirdly really important, like your wallet. Like I can still breathe without my wallet because I didn't lose my lungs. That would be devastating. I lose my keys. Can't drive anywhere, but you know, a good walk never hurt anybody. This is up grouse. I heard people get hurt all the time. But, and I know that because the fire brigade's always going up there with the paramedics. But I lose the tiles. And then, it's funny, this is, this is classic. Uh, the Sarah buys me a tile, my PA, to put on my keys because I keep losing my keys. And so I didn't use the tile for a while. Then I put it on my keys. And once I put it on my keys, I actually found the other tiles. <laughs> and then I'm like, I'm all tiled up. So I'm putting tiles on everything. You probably got a tile on your car. You don't know about it. I put it there. I know where you're going now. I'm like my own like avant James Bond thing going on here. But this is the interesting thing. See, you put the tile on something that is valuable. Like, it'd be super weird if you went and just put that tile on your dish scrubber, just in case you didn't lose, you know, where's my dish scrubber? Where's my dish cleaner? It'd be super weird if you went and put that tile, like, on a flip-flop. On your sandal, right? Oh, especially if there's only one sandal. It's weird. You put it on expensive, valuable things. So my question is, and this is what I'm getting to, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also lie. If I was to check, if God was to check your tile being your heart, would it lie in generosity or would it lie in selfishness and greed? Would it lie in faith and, content, and a form of, of, of sustainability in God and a, a, a satisfactory or a, a sufficient nature in His grace? Or would it lie in the fact that you, you want to be in control, you want to manipulate, you want your agenda? 
What's the tile of your heart? Where is it positioned? Where is it located? Because it's important. See, God and the church is not after your finance. It's not after your wallet. God is desperately after your heart. He's so very interested in our hearts. So how do we develop a heart of generosity? And we've hit to like, we got to the good part now, hey? I'm excited about this part. How do we develop a heart of generosity? Before we dive into this, I just want to talk about this concept of generosity when it comes to the heart. A lot of us, the way we show our generosity or how we source our generosity, um, you know, and I say this carefully, comes from the social pressures of this world, especially if you attend church, that you must be or you should at least look like you have a generous heart. I really want to talk about these four things that God sets down in the the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 15 that I think will help. But it'll only help if you're honest about where your heart is at. And so I want you to just take a moment right now to think, hey, why am I generous? Because we're going to talk about some stuff. And if we convince ourselves that our generosity comes from God and it doesn't, then this will fall onto deaf ears and we will miss the opportunity to live in the fullness of God's generosity instead of the foolishness of our own. You ready? Number one, we have to deal with the selfish heart. Deuteronomy 15, 7-10 says, Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year of cancelling debt, is near, so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your people and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you and you'll be found guilty of sin. You're like, what does that have to do with a selfish heart? You know, God implemented this economic system in Israel that at the end of every seventh year, all debts are cancelled. Man, what went wrong in this world that we lost that? Wouldn't you love that? At the end of the cycle, God said, don't be stingy. Crazy at the end here, it says that if you are to not cancel the debt, if you are not to be generous, if you are not to give to those who have nothing, if you're not to sow in to the goodness of God, then those people that you have shown this selfishness to can bring an argument against you to the Lord and you will be found guilty of what? Sin. You'll be, you'll be found guilty of sin. It is a sin to be selfish. See, even when it potentially disadvantages you to be generous, it's still a sin to be selfish. You can't hide from the fact that it might affect you in a way you don't like. That's not an argument. You can stand before God and be your own lawyer and you can argue, well, God, if I was to do this, if I was to be obedient in this, then I'd be at a disadvantage. And I think that's unfair. And he would say to you, you are selfish. Crazy. Selfishness is wickedness. Ever thought, why did God create giving? Not for himself. God didn't create giving for his sake. He created giving for our sake. He created it for your sake. He wants us to begin to live in the freedom of generosity. Robert Morris says, giving more than any other activity that a believer does works selfishness and and greed out of our lives. 
Giving does that. Being generous does that. Having a heart after God's generous heart allows you to actually push out, to remove, to exterminate the selfish natures of your, of your humanity and the greedy natures of, of your wickedness and not to a corner of your life. I mean, completely remove it. See, we want, we'll pray, God, God, let, make me more, you know, less selfish. Make me more selfless, Lord. We can pray that till the cows come home, but until you begin to operate in that faith and begin to walk out that prayer in your daily walk with God, then that will still remain the same because faith without works is, 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 is void. And it doesn't mean that your salvation's all up in the air. What it means is that transformation requires you to partner with the Holy Spirit, the sanctification process. You gotta do something. You can't just wish Jeannie into the, into the building, rub the lamp, and hope that God will remove everything that you can't achieve because you're not willing to partner partner with him. You're not a silent partner in generosity. That's a ridiculous notion. You do not get to inherit what you don't invest in. See, a lot of preaching of giving develops a give to get mindset. You know what I love about our church? We never preach give to get. We preach you get to give. You get to give. Isn't that, and you might be like, oh, you're just, that's a nice little you know, you know, title. You get to give. No, I mean, you get to give. You have something to give. God has redeemed you. He's called you by name. He has positioned you. He's resourced you. He said, I've called you out. And because of that, because of his graces, because of his goodness, because he has given you a platform, you can now give. Because prior to God, doing what God does best and redeeming us, everything we had to give was but filthy rags was of no value. But now we get to give. And we get to give into what he's doing. We get to co-labor, co-minister and co-partner. I'm not a silent partner in this. I'm active. I'm giving all that I got for the glory of God. God is so concerned with our heart. God doesn't bless giving. Everyone's like, what? He blesses giving from the right heart attitude. You're like, oh yeah, I knew that. It's true when we give, we receive, no doubt. That's not just defined to the church. I know plenty of people who have rejected the message of the gospel that are beautiful people that are generous. And because they're generous, they receive a great reward. Why? Because that is a principle just like gravity. You believe in it or not, it has an effect on your life. You believe in Jesus or not, he put it in the very fabric of this world that we live in. You don't have to believe in him to receive the principle he put in place. Which tells me that if we do believe in him and we do invest that seed in him, then what was once impossible becomes possible. All of a sudden when it was just generosity, give to receive, now it's give and not just receive, it's redeem. It's restore, it's resurrect, because that's what our God does. He takes our generosity and he first resurrects us and then he begins to use it in multiplication to resurrect others. It's not that I, get, I give to get, it's I get to give. And that gets you excited in the morning. When you get up, are you going to get up and go, what am I going to give into this morning? And I don't mean, oh, I'm going to give into last 
Because that could be the opportunity that you actually fall to. It could be, oh, I'm, I'm going to give into, you know, not, not being generous. No, you get to get up in the morning and go, what am I going to give into? Am I going to give into the generosity of God and let it overwhelm me? Or am I going to give into the sinful nature of my life and let it rob me? What am I going to give into this morning? What am I going to be overwhelmed by this morning? Is it give as God gives? Number two, dealing with a grieving heart. Deuteronomy 15.10 says this, Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. And then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. See, if you learn to give in a right heart, God will bless you in everything that you do. Not just your money. Not just your resource. You're going to have a healthy marriage. You're going to have a healthy family life. Because you learned the art of giving from the right place. See, all of a sudden, when you give into your marriage, you're giving from a place of health, not a place of demand or unhealthy expectation. Why? Because you've already had that selfishness pulled out of you. You don't have a grieving heart. Ever given something and then been like, oh. I love watching my kids as they learn the art of sharing and generosity. My kids are super generous. They get it from me. They watch as Emma constantly generously gives. And they'll be like, man, I need to find a wife or a husband that's like that. Actually, do you know what I find weird is my four-year-old is more obsessed about marriage than any four-year-old I've ever met. I'm not sure why. It's concerning. I tell her, Eden, if you don't break hearts, I will. <laughs> My kids, I love watching them as they learn to be generous, but it's funny because they'll give, and then two days later they'll regret. And then they try to find in their form of logic how they can get back what they've given, and they do it in different ways. So, Levi realizing that he may have given something away that he now regrets, will figure out how he can hustle it back into his possession. He's a hustler. I mean, like, this is the kid that we gave one Pokemon card to at the start of kindergarten. We didn't buy him anymore. He came home with 500 at the end of the year. Don't know how he did it. But do you know what happens? He's amazing at getting back what he thought he didn't want to give in the first place, by hustling. Hey, we do this, right? We give something. God says, you should give this. And then we somehow justify getting it back. Now, it might not even be give it to someone. It might just be give it to him. Hey, you should give your bad attitude to me. Oh, God, I give you my bad attitude. A few days later, you regret that you can't have a bad attitude. And so what you do is, is you just spruce it up. Like you change your tone, but it's still negative. It's no longer criticism, it's concern. Right? It's no longer gossip, it's pastoral care. But you're, you're hustling it back into your life. Alice does not give and take back. We'll just leave that there. We all have one child who just nails that, right? They're just like, they get it. It's a principle. I'm a principled person. Eden will give and then forget she gave. But it's like willful forgetfulness. Oh, did I? But I really like that. It was mine. Can I just use it? 
And then two minutes later, it's now hers again. All right? It's just this. But we do that. We forget that we gave it away. We forget that we'd, we'd given it and it was not to be taken back. Or Think about this. I was once, you know, it sounds weird. I got an, uh, when the iWatch first came out by Apple years ago now, which sounds weird, um, I had it for a few months, but then God told me to give it to someone. And so I did. Super generous. Um, but immediately I was trying to figure out how I could, though, get another one. Right? But then I had this thought. It's a good thought. It's not a weird thought. If God wanted me to buy myself a new eye, like an iWatch, why would he not just ask me to buy the other person a brand new iWatch and keep the old one? He wouldn't. Doesn't make sense. Which tells me he wanted me to give something and not have it for a while. He wanted me to actually be generous at a cost and learn how to get through the grief of giving. How not to have a grieving heart because you've been generous. How not to be grudging in your generosity because someone's watching or because you have to do this. Or mum said that or God said this. And oh, okay, God. I, mean, I, want to be a, I want to be a believer, I want to be a son, that when dad says give something, you're like, how much? I want to give. Like, man, you've given me so much. Like, maybe I'll just look in my closet. I've got so many shirts. Actually, I don't give them away. But I've got so many jackets. <laughs> it's just shirts are weird to give away, right? You've worn them, it's weird. Shoes the same. You shouldn't, you shouldn't wear someone else's shoes, it's weird. I've got so much because God's given me so much. I would, I would love to be a part of blessing someone else. Dad, how much do you want me to give? We never know. We, we can never understand what our generosity can do. I'm going to tell you this story about how this young, this young girl helps this missionary buy a multi-million dollar camp for one dollar. Crazy, isn't it? So there's this missionary named John Bechtel, and he was a missionary to Hong Kong. And he wanted to start a Christian camp, and he wanted to do this so that he could reach people for Jesus. So he first went to the governor of Hong Kong. This is back when it was under British rule. Uh, They were old school friends, but the governor had no ability to help. He said, no deal, brother. So this bankrupt multi-million dollar hotel and conference center all of a sudden becomes available for sale. He made an offer to purchase the property and then he travels around the world trying to raise the millions of dollars he would need, but no one was willing to help and he returns to Hong Kong really discouraged. Then one day he got a letter from a young girl that included $1 and the note saying this, I have saved all my chore money up And I wanted to use it to help you buy the camp. Just going to pause the story here because it's interesting how we can be disheartened with the generosity of others or we can be begrudging when we give something. But this young girl, she saves up every bit of her chores money. I mean, and it equals one dollar like her parents are slave traders. But anyway, one dollar. Crazy. She gives it. You think about it. She gives it to a man on the other side of the world to buy something. 
that is far outside what one dollar can buy. But the missionary, John, he goes, you know what? He prays to God. He has this revelation from God and he takes this one dollar to the real estate that is closing, the corporation that is shutting down the hotel and he offers them one dollar that this girl gives. And for a whole multitude of reasons, they accept the one dollar offer for this multi-million dollar hotel. Since that camp first opened, over a million people have come and studied and experienced the goodness of God. And over 100,000 people in Hong Kong have accepted Christ directly from that dollar. One dollar given willfully, joyfully, without regret, without grief. Adds a multitude of people into eternity with the Father. We got to deal with grief when it comes to our generosity. Hey, you need to develop a generous heart. You know, Deuteronomy 15, 14 says this, Supply them liberally from your flock and your threshing floor and your winepress. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. You know, when we're born initially, we're born into this world with a selfish nature. But when we are born again, we're born into this world with a generous nature. God wants us to be generous like he is generous. His generosity, like grace, is beautiful. You've got to develop a generous heart. Years ago, I mean like a long time ago now, babe, you remember we had that year at the start of the year where we're like, hey, we really want to get better with how we become like, ex, like extra generous this year. And God said to, to me, he's like, Ben, every time that a traveling missionary or minister comes to the church, I want you to give them a love offering. And a love offering is just a blessing to acknowledge the sacrifice and the hard work that these men and women do traveling, growing and helping develop the kingdom. But there's a catch. Every time one comes, you have to give them more than the last. And so... For whatever reason, that year, our church had a lot of guest ministers. You know, God's funny like that. And I remember the last guest minister coming. And by this point, honestly, it's a lot of money. Like for this minister, he's, he's about to hit the jackpot. Not because he's done anything, but simply because Emma and I have an outworking agreement with God that he's transforming our hearts into a, gen- a generous heart, heart that is not, you know, constricted or restricted by the fear of money or the love of it. And I remember that offering bucket going around for the love offering and I didn't put it in it. I had a moment. And I'm like, oh man. I'm like, oh Lord, I'm so sorry. You know, and there was a, there was a conviction there because we'd done so well that whole year. You know, it's funny how you can run such a good race and then right at the end slip a bit. But then this message went out, hey, the transport for the guest minister has fallen through. We need somebody to drive him halfway to Sydney. It's about two hours north and it's late at night. And I felt like God say, that's you. You get to do that. You get to give. 
again. So I remember going, I didn't want to drive two hours north in the middle of the night. But I remember being excited because my first opportunity to be faithful and I got it wrong. But how gracious is he that he'd give me another opportunity to give. Still remember standing at the gas station halfway to Sydney and being able to give that gentleman the love offering. And what made that moment so beautiful was not his response, though that was gracious and very appreciative. What made that moment so special for me was as I fueled up my car and as I watched the numbers on the gas uh, meter begin to tick over and just pumping money into my car. I just have this God moment where he's like, hey, you got to do that. You got this moment. You'll remember it forever. It'll guide you forever. There's some things that you'll give into that'll be used up and that'll have to be refilled. And there's some things you give into that last for eternity. And I'm just looking at the gas and I'm like, how often do we give like we're pumping gas into our car so that we can run off it, so we can get something from it, so that we can get from A to B instead of give like we're giving into eternity. The last thing, and I get you to stand with me, is that we've got to develop a grateful heart. Deuteronomy 15, 15 says this, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. If we allow, and honestly, church, from the depths of my heart, I encourage you, if we allow God to remind us every now and then that we were once slaves, then everything we have is by His grace and it will help us to be grateful. You've got to remember that. You've got to take time to reflect that you were once lost, but now you're found. That you were once blind, but now you can see. You've got to take time to give God the opportunity to remind you that you were once dead, but now you're alive. Because in that remembrance, and on Christmas Eve, we're going to have communion together and we're going to remember that we were once dead, but now we're alive. We were once lost, but now found blind, now see. We're going to remember. We've got to take time to remember and celebrate and breed and invest and cultivate a heart of gratefulness, a gratitude that can't be shaken by this world, can't be robbed by the enemy, but can sustain us far longer than anything this world could hope or ever imagine. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. When I read that, it's no wonder King David prayed, Create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. What is the condition of your heart today? Friend, what is it? Is it selfish? Is it grieving? Is it generous? Is it grateful? As we go back into worship right now and we're talking about give as God gives, as we, as we march towards our legacy offering, as we take time on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day to celebrate that God gave first, 
Where are you? Do we, need, do we need God to deal with the selfishness right now? Is there grieving there that He needs to turn to joy? Is there selfishness there that He wants to turn to generosity? Is there regret there that He wants to turn to gratefulness? Come on, church, as we worship right now, as we head into this week of fasting, can we begin to allow God to resonate in us like He has never before, begin to transform us from the inside out? Let's worship together. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.